teaching out a series called The Family Tree. And I've really enjoyed this series. And what we've been looking at is we've been looking at Matthew chapter 1, this family tree of Jesus. So if you brought your Bible, we're going to start there so you can get a head start. If you're that person that likes to get a head start, you can go to Matthew chapter 1 because we're going to begin there this morning as well. But we've been looking at the family tree of Jesus. So this morning, I'm going to give you a quick little recap of kind of where we've gone so far this morning, and uh, then we're going to close it out uh, as we lead up until our Christmas services. But if you've never looked at the family tree of Jesus before, I believe you're in for a pretty big surprise. It's amazing to look at all these names in Matthew chapter 1. And if you've never looked at it, Jesus' family tree was full of scandal and adultery, murder, idolatry. And what we look at is we see this, uh, these pro- prophecies about the coming of Jesus, that one day the Savior will come. And Micah writes this prophecy in chapter 5 of Micah. He says, but you, Bethlehem, David's country, the runt of the litter. Bethlehem was like the nowhere town, right? The runt of the litter. From you will come the leader who will shepherd rule Israel. There'll be no upstart or pretender. His family tree is ancient and distinguished. What is so ancient and distinguished about this family tree of Jesus? When we look at it and that we've looked at over the past few weeks, and I'll remind and fill you up if you've missed it as well, that this family tree, like I said, was full of idolatry, murder, adultery, all these things. How was this family tree so ancient and distinguished? God chose to send his son Jesus into the runt of the litter from which this family tree was so broken and twisted. Jesus not only enters into this broken and hurting and twisted family tree, and not from a place of power or prestige, but to the least likely place and into this family full of dysfunction. And the story of Christmas is all about this story of Jesus entering into this family, but not just there entering into our own family, our own brokenness, and ultimately bringing us into his eternal family. Jesus shows us that no matter who you are, Christmas is for everyone. Christmas is for everyone. But before we uh, look at Jesus' family one more time, let me show you a picture of my family. So I'm one of our pastors here on staff, if you didn't know. My name is Nathan. This is my wonderful family. This is my wife, beautiful wife, Chantel, and my son, Grant, and our daughter, Amy. Pretty cute, huh? It's a good-looking family. And my wife and I, we just celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary. Thank you. And uh, we're in the process of uh, writing a book right now in which we highlight all the things that counselors don't say to you in premarital counseling. And uh, here's one of them as we lead up until Christmas. I won't give you all 10. You'll have to buy the book for (laughs) $19.95. But here's one of them that a counselor will never tell you that you probably didn't hear in premarital counseling either. 
When in, in singles, if you're looking for some dating advice, this is good stuff right here. If you're engaged, you still have a chance to get out if you need to, okay? <laughs> and people who are married are stuck, and this is going to be some good advice moving forward, okay? One thing you won't hear is you never, never diss the other person's Christmas family traditions. Did you learn that in premarital counseling? No. But is it crucial? Yes. You never diss your other spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, their family traditions, right? We have a family tradition in the Mead family that I don't know where it came from, but it's like this weird Christmas Eve tradition in which we eat this crab dip that my mom makes. We eat crab dip. And it came from like... You know, my dad's mom, which came from their mom, or whatever, it's been passed down. But here's the thing. If you're ever at our house on Christmas Eve, or when we've had brought new people into our family, that if you diss the Mead family crab dip, the room, A, will go silent. All eyes will go right to you. And you'll get like the worst Mead stink eye you've ever had. That this crab dip is important. And I remember when Chantel and I, we first got married, and you had that first Christmas with each other's families. It's like, this is weird, you know? And she thinks, like, you do Christmas weird. But you learn very quickly. Never diss. Never diss. The other person's Christmas. I'm going to switch to this one. which is why I'm shutting it off. <laughs> Anywho, some advice for you. There you go. Lessons learned after 10 years of marriage. Don't diss each other's family traditions. But here's one thing. is I've talked with other couples and I've talked with other singles or people. As you start talking about life and they ask you about you know, advice or different problems you have, uh, as, you, as you talk, you bring these like multiple worlds together, you know, especially if you're getting married, you're bringing two worlds, two ways, two strategies, two lifestyles, or if you're dating, or even if you're just having friends, like you're colliding these two whole different backgrounds into a friendship or a marriage or whatnot. And when I talk with people, it always usually comes up as if they're asking for some advice and I'm bringing them through some type of biblical passage, like, oh, you know, the Bible says this, or what could you do here? It usually comes around to, yeah, I know that I need to make some type of change. So whether it's they're talking about marriage or friendship or finances or whatnot, it usually comes around to like, yeah, I know that I should probably make some type of change. But the common denominator of all these people that I've met with, or most, most of them, is it always comes down to, well, it's because of this which was usually it's like, well, because I was raised or because I, I'm from California or because, you know, my family had a, uh, affiliated with a certain political party or you don't know how my family argued this way growing up or this is how my dad spent money or this is who I am and this is who I'm going to be. You've probably talked with plenty of people like that. Like you, you get who you get. This is, this is who I've been. This is who I am. And a lot of times as you talk with different people, at least as I talk with different people, it's you don't know my past. You don't know my family, the family that I've been a part of and who I've grown up with and my parents. And this is why I am 
why I am. And it's almost as if people sometimes will continually look to their past as the thing that will hold them from the dreams that maybe they have or what God intended for them. You've probably heard this statement before. What's the number one indicator of the future is the past, right? Uh, You know, history is the the best uh, uh, fortune teller of the future, right? We've all heard these types of things, that it's the past is what's going to indicate the future. And what we see here, not only in our own family, we can get stuck in that mindset that it's my family's problems and it's how I grew up and it's these very things that ultimately a lot of times hold us back as we look back. But here's the thing, that as we've looked at this series about Jesus' family tree, is that what we see is wherever you come from, And where you come from, it does not have to determine where you're going. This is a a, a crucial part of Matthew chapter 1. If you have your Bible open, you see all those names there. And you see all the people who got listed that where you come from, it does not determine where you're going. My family tree is super jacked up, all right? Um, maybe you've heard a little bit of my father's story or whatnot. Maybe you haven't. But my great-grandmother, she was married seven times. It's a lot of dudes, right? She was married seven times. And she ultimately adopted my, grand, uh, my, my grandfather. And one of her last marriages, she was in, in, uh, with a guy who got in trouble with the mob. True story, Okay. And he ultimately, he ended up taking his life because he had stolen money from the mob and they were after him and they were going to kill him anyways. And so my great-grandmother and my grandfather, they fled from uh, 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 one state down to Arizona. And then that's where they ended up raising their family. And then if you know my dad's story, him and his brothers, they're a bunch of hoodlums running around Tucson, Arizona, smoking dope and doing all kinds of weird stuff that... Here's this super jacked up family tree, but what I love is that God didn't just leave it there. That we could, I could look at my past and my history and go, we shouldn't be where we're at today, which is very true. But where you come from, it doesn't determine where God wants to bring you. The family tree of Jesus is super jacked up. And is, is my current family, is there still brokenness? Is there still dysfunction? Of course there is. There, there is no perfect family and there is no perfect marriage. That of course there's brokenness. Of course there's those things. But God had a different plan for the Mead family. And I am really grateful, really grateful that God intersected where we're at. And that my father and his brothers and my grandparents, they didn't just say, Well, we've always been this way. We might as well just keep going that way. That God intercepted their life, changed forever. In the family tree of Jesus, as we look in Matthew 1, which is perhaps one of the most skimmed over verses in the whole Bible, that you just see a bunch of names. It's 17 verses of just names. It's easy to look at that and just go like, skip that, right? Like that's that's boring news. But within those names is a bunch of stories. And within those stories that many of them you can read in the Bible is full of brokenness and is full of triumph and is full of God's hand. But there's a lot of 
dis- dysfunction. There's a lot of twisted people. And you would think that, you know, the people that we've learned about the last two weeks, I'll remind you of some of them if you haven't been here. Someone like Judah and Tamar. That Tamar lost her husband and she wanted a baby and she couldn't have one. And so she tricked her father-in-law to sleep with her and then she got pregnant. Like, that's super weird. Or someone like Ruth, who was a Moabite woman. She, she was not a godly, didn't come from a godly people. Or someone like Rahab, who was a prostitute. But God used her in this incredible way. Or someone like Bathsheba. She's written in this lineage that she had an affair. And she and her husband ended up dying. Or someone like King David. That he was the one who slept with Bathsheba and killed her husband and all these things. Like you look at this, these names and it can look like a bunch of names, but in reality it's a bunch of people and their stories and it's their brokenness. Let me bring you up, up to speed on just two more that we didn't cover the last two weeks. One of them is Jacob. Jacob is listed right in there in Jesus' family tree. And Jacob, if, he's like one of the kings of Christianity, right? When you go like, we serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Like he's like right there, but it wasn't supposed to be that way. It was supposed to be, we serve the, our God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Esau was Jacob's older brother, and, he, and the name Jacob literally means in the Bible, it means deceiver. That's what the name means. And Jacob deceived his brother and his dying father to steal the birthright away from Esau so that because he was jealous. He wanted to be uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He wanted his name written in history, right? And he deceived his family. But did God just do away with him? No, God saw something in him and said, I, even though you're a deceiver, I have a new destiny for your life. Or here's another one, because uh, this one is Josiah. And Josiah didn't have any big mess up in life. But what I love about Josiah is that he was anointed king at age eight. And I love that for the fact that I've worked with a lot of young people before. And a lot of times they feel like they can't do anything great for God. That my name could never be written in history. And as I look at the brokenness and the political climate of my world as like a little 8-year-old or 10-year-old or junior higher, like I can't do anything about that. But what God would want to tell you is that even little 8-year-old Josiah can be anointed to do great things. And that even though you are young, or maybe if you're old and you're not 8 but you're 80, God still has something for your life. That your name can be written in the books of history based off of what you do. As we look at this, we look at all these names. The reality is, is that God could have picked other much more noble men and women to be Jesus' great, 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 great grandparents and grandparents and mom and dad. He could have done that because there was a problem with humanity. Humanity was sinful and evil, and he had to send his son Jesus, and he could have picked a more noble family, but it didn't end up being that way. God said, I have to show everyone that I'm going to use Jesus and the very people that he came to save.
And then as you look after verse 17 in Matthew and you look on, you see that the angel goes to Mary and then you see the angel goes to Joseph. And then in verse 21, just a few verses later, we see the hypothesis of the entire New Testament written right in the beginning. Matthew lays it out very clearly. This is what he says. And in uh, as you look back on all the names of all the sinful people, this really starts to make sense. That the angel says, um, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. That, that here, God puts Jesus into this place because he not only is he going to save the very people of his past from their sins, but the people moving ahead as well. This is the hypothesis of the New Testament. Is look at all these names above and think of all the names that are going to come after. That this is why Jesus came. That God uses imperfect people to orchestrate a perfect plan. Imperfect people to orchestrate a perfect plan. I loved Olivia's message last week if you were here for it. If you weren't here for it, you should go online and watch it. Go to northchurch.net. It's great. But I loved how she illustrated the, in detail the story of David. And I love this story, and I think it illustrates Christmas, or the, the, the miracle of Christmas really well, is because you get to get a very in-depth look at David's life before he was king and before he really messed up. You get a really in-depth look at his life in the midst of him at the height of his power and where he ended up ultimately committing adultery and murder and lying and all these things. And then you get to see his heart afterwards. A lot of the people in the Bible, you don't get to see all the backstory and all the things that went on. And you don't get to see the, and hear the prayers that they may have prayed to God after their big mess-ups. But with David, we get to see all of that. And we learned last week that King David, it started with adultery. There was lying and more lying, and it led to murder and then more lying. But God still chose to use him. That the Bible describes David as the man after God's own heart. And that Jesus uh, is associated with the name David more than any other name in the Bible. That he is the son of David. That God still chose to use David. And we get to hear his heart after the fact. Here is, is what he said in Psalm 32. He said, then I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now, here we start to see the story and the miracle of Christmas uh, begin to take shape. That we have all these people, and I'm sure there were other people who prayed prayers like this in the Bible. We just don't get to read them and see them. But here David says, you've done this. And if you've come to church for a long time, you've probably seen those words like sin and transgressions and iniquity. But it's like... What, couldn't we just write sin, sin, sin? Like, what's the difference? Well, let me give you a quick recap of the difference between sin, transgression, and inequity, all right? Sin is when a person breaks the law of God. When you break the law of God, whether you knew it or not, if you break the law of God, that's a sin. It's like if you were to break the law today. If you ever got a speeding ticket and you break the law, that's essentially a sin. I've done that before. Uh, I can remember... A few years ago, we were driving back, my family was driving back from Denver. Lesson number two on the things counselors never tell you is never take really long road trips with kids in the car. <laughs> 16 hours is a long time, all right? That's lesson number two for the book. But we were driving back, and it was like getting late at night, and we were driving through Wyoming. Great thing about Wyoming is the speed limit's like 85. 
And I think there's kind of like, isn't there supposed to be some type of unspoken thing between police and uh, civilians that if the speed limit's 80 or 85, you really can go 90 or 95, right? Have you ever, that's an unspoken rule, isn't it? So anyways, the speed limit's like 85, I'm going, you know, like 86 or whatever. And uh, these lights shine behind me. I didn't see the state trooper out of anywhere. But then I noticed it's like some like 85 Ford Bronco with like a light on top coming after me. I'm like, who the heck is this guy? A Ford Bronco coming after me. And so I'm like, well, should I pull over? Should I not? I pull over, and I kid you not, the state trooper gets out of the car, like boots, cowboy hat, revolver on his hip, like the whole thing, star on his vest, you know? And I'm like, for real? And so he comes up, and he's like, you know you were speeding, boy. And I'm like, yeah. I was like, I didn't know. Like, I thought it was 85. He's like, no, it switched to a 75. I'm like, okay. Also at the time, uh, this was a few years back, Colorado was one of the few states that uh, had legalized marijuana. And so it's right on the border of Wyoming. So he comes up, and he goes, yeah, change to 75. He's like, you ain't bringing anything back green, are you, that I need to know about? And so I pause, and I'm like, I, it just didn't click in my mind. And I'm like, what, Green, what are you talking about? I'm thinking, and my wife, Chantel's right there, and she's like screaming on the inside, say no, you know, like we don't have anything. And so this is, we just came from Estes Park in Colorado, and we got a bunch of taffy. And so I said, well, we, I have a bunch of green taffy in the car. And so then the state troopers like thinks I'm being a smart aleck with him, and he's like, boy, you don't got any marijuana, do you? And I'm like, oh my goodness, no, I don't. Like, I'm really sorry. And wrote me a ticket and let me go. Anyways, if you break the law, the sin, okay? If you break the law, that's the sin. Here's what a transgression is. A transgression is different because it is when someone knows the law and they willfully disobey it and break it. When you know the law and you willfully disobey it. This is... Like if, when you fill your taxes out, and you know you're filling it out wrong, but you get more money back. You're willfully breaking the law. That's called a transgression. Or you know when you text that person late at night, and you shouldn't do that, but you do it anyways. That is a transgression, when you willfully break the law. But David doesn't just stop there. That he goes... You've known my sin. You've known my transgression. He said, and you, and my, he talks about his iniquity. And iniquity is a particular bent or twist toward evil. And we all have that. We all have iniquity. That means that there's something inside you that doesn't just sometimes disobey. It's a desire in every single person that there's a particular bent or twist toward evil. That in every single person, that we have that. We have iniquity. There's something in us that sometimes wants to do wrong. And that's that iniquity. And that when David says, you know, you, uh, that I acknowledge my sin and I didn't cover my iniquity and I confess my transgressions, he's saying all these things. And that there's something inside of us that wants to, to do wrong. And that there's something that we've all done probably plenty of times that we willfully disobey. And then those things that you just break the law and you mess up. <coughs> and the problem is 
is sometimes we don't realize the issue that this creates in our life. Sometimes we don't understand like how the magnitude of the issue that when we have sin and transgression and the very iniquity inside of us that has that bent and desire to do something wrong. Because the problem is that the Bible tells us that sin, it leads to death and that it separates us from God. And we like to downplay sin a lot of times, don't we? We like to call it sin stuff. Like, I'm just going through some stuff right now, man. You ever heard anyone? Or like, yeah, I was with my girlfriend the other night. We did some stuff, and now we're having a baby. <laughs> you did some stuff. What do you mean you did some stuff? Or like, yeah, I just, I just got a lot of stuff in my life right now. What do you mean you got, you mean you got stuff? We like to downplay sin a lot of times, don't we? We all do it. The issue at stake is that sin and transgression and iniquity is more than just stuff. It's more than just the stuff in our life. That this iniquity, the bent towards evil, it leads to ultimate death and separation from God. And so this family tree of Jesus, it shows us that Jesus entered into that sin and he entered into those transgressions, people who willfully disobeyed God. And he entered into the very people who had iniquity and a bent and a desire to long to do something evil, that he entered into those very things. And Paul illustrates this in the book of Galatians. In chapter four, he says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. And the, that word redeemed essentially means you were, that there was a price paid to make you clean. That when you had sin, there was a price paid for that. That God sent his son Jesus, born of a woman, that you might be redeemed. And there's these prophecies that we looked at in Micah, and we look at one in Isaiah really quick here. Or even as Matthew wrote in verse 21 that we looked at, that Jesus is going to come and he's going to save the people from their sin, from their transgression, from their iniquity. In Isaiah, in chapter 53, he writes that one day someone is going to come, and he says, but he will be pierced for our transgressions, the things that you willfully disobey. He will be crushed for our iniquities, the very bent towards evil inside of us. And the punishment that brings us peace with God was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. That's good news, isn't it? That one day that person's going to come and that person is Jesus. But here's the thing is it doesn't just stop there. Let's read Galatians 4, and let's read past verse 5 now, where he says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are sons of God, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. That God doesn't just want to redeem you and pay the price and set you free, but he wants to bring you into his family. And that is what Christmas is all about. 
It's about Jesus entering into your family and your brokenness so you can one day uh, say yes to him and then be a part of his family forever. That not only are we justified and are we forgiven, but God adopts us into his family. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what it leads up to, that all these things lead up to in prophecies and people writing that one day this person's going to come who's going to save you from your sin and your transgression and your iniquity. But he's not just going to stop there, even though you're, you're bent towards evil. He's not just going to set you free. He's going to bring you home with him and say, I love you and I have a new lease on life for you. That regeneration, when God regenerates our spirit, he brings it to life when we say yes to him. And regeneration has to do with that change in nature and justification when he makes you clean and he justifies your sin. That when justification has a change in your standing, but adoption has a change in position. That you were once a slave to sin. But adoption means that not only you are free, but your position in God's eyes is different. That he now sees you just as he sees his son, Jesus. It's as if, as though when God sent his son, Jesus, that in this time, in, 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 for the Galatians, the analogy of slavery would have made perfect sense. Because there were slaves at that time. And there was a legitimate slave trade. You could go down to the slave market and buy or sell a slave. And it's as if when God sent Jesus, that he paid a price, he redeemed you, which means that he went to the auction block and he bought you. And he didn't just set you free from your slavery, but he held your hand all the way down to the courthouse and he signed those adoption papers to bring you home to make you a son or daughter with him. That is the real miracle of Christmas. That even though we are bent towards evil, he sets us free, but he brings us home. And I can stand in awe of a God like that, can't you? I can stand in awe. But here's another great thing, is that God just doesn't want you to stand in awe of him, even though we should and we do. But it says that he gives us the spirit of sonship, which calls out Abba Father, which means daddy, essentially. That what, what he's saying is that I don't want you just to be in awe with me, but I want you to draw near to me. I, li I li literally want to be with you like you're my son or you're my daughter. Jesus has redeemed us and brought us back as God's children. We've been adopted into the family of God. Those of you who've ever adopted a child or if, you, if you've been adopted... You may have uh, sat down with a lawyer and they probably would have said something to the effect of before you sign the papers that you realize by adopting this child, he has equal rights to any blood son or daughter you have ever had or will have, that they get equal everything and that cannot be changed. And that's the same thing for us is that when Jesus paid that high price of adoption, he didn't set us free, he brings us back, and we have equal rights and inheritance. God's present to you and to me wasn't just a present, but it was a person. And that's the power and miracle of Christmas, that when Christ died on the cross, he paid the penalty of our sins, but then he adopted us and brings us 
home, that you have a new lease on life. And he says, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your family looks like. I don't care what your past looks like because your past isn't going to determine where I want to take you, that you have a new family, you have a new hope, you have a new future, that I've entered into your pain, I've entered into your shame, I've entered into your brokenness, I've entered into your very family legacy and your family history and your family dysfunction, and I'm right here with you whether you're an adulterer, an idolater, whether you've lied, whether you're a single mom or you're a businessman or whether you're a teacher, I don't care who you are, what you've done, but Christmas and the miracle of Christmas is for everyone. It's for everyone. And that is the amazing peace. And that's why this family tree of Jesus, it just blows my mind. That here he is listed amongst these people, just like you and me, because he loves you dearly and he wants you to be a part of his family. So our response, our response is that if you have never said yes to Jesus, your response, you have an opportunity to say yes to him today. That you can say yes to that spiritual adoption that he wants to regenerate your spirit, bring it to life. He wants to live with you forever, and he wants you to be a part of his forever eternal family. He wants to give you a new lease on life. He wants to bring you a new hope and a new future. And if you're a Christian, and if you already said yes to that, our response is not just to sit back during Christmas time and just be in awe of who God is. We should. But it's more than that. He wants you to draw near to him as your father. And then it means that our response is that what am I doing because I've been given this new lease on life. I have a brand new family. Like an orphan adopted, I have a brand new hope and future. So that means that as, as someone of you have said yes to that before, you have to do something. That might mean repent of some indifference you have. That might mean repent of inactivity or selfishness or, or, or a fear. Don't ever be intimidated by the vastness of the brokenness that we face in our world. That God has set you free, that your name can be written in the books of history, that people can be a part of God's family forever because you were not intimidated by the brokenness you see in our world. And you said, I have this new lease on life. I'm a part of this new family so I can go and bring this Christmas miracle to other people. And so with that, let us be grace givers to people this year, that we would present not just a present, present, but a person to our world, not be intimidated by the brokenness because Jesus entered into our world's brokenness and our brokenness. Let's pray together. And if you've never said yes to Jesus before, you've never received that adoption before, I want to give you that opportunity right now. And all that means is you have to pray a very simple prayer in your own heart and your own mind. And with that, God wants to adopt you into his, his family. And he wants to forgive you of your sin, transgression, and iniquity. So if that's you and you want to pray that, just pray after me. God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. 
God, thank you for forgiving me of my sin, my transgression, my iniquity, Lord. God, would you come into my heart, come into my life. I want to follow you as Lord and Savior for as long as that I live. Lead me and guide me. I believe in you. And if you prayed that prayer, would you just lift your hand just to show me that you said, yes, that was me today. Good. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Good. Yeah. That's amazing. There are angels literally rejoicing in heaven because of your decision this morning. And God, for the rest of us, God, thank you for, for this adoption that you've given us, the hope you've given us. Lord, may we be people who give grace to others, that we give the present of you to others, Jesus, that we would live under this new lease in life. And thank you, God, for this miracle of Christmas where we trust you and we give you this day in your most precious name. Amen. Well, Nate, thank you for that incredible message and the power there. Uh, I'm Glendy. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And so if you are new or fairly new with us, uh, I'd love to meet you and uh, tell you a little bit more about how you can get plugged in here at North Church. just takes a couple minutes so you can leave the kids downstairs. If you find yourself in need of prayer, um, there's a prayer team over here uh, under this monitor, and I'll be over here under this monitor. Will you stand with me real quick? Well, we have one week before Christmas, so uh, let's take Nate's challenge to really just press in to Jesus this next week and invite somebody back for Christmas Eve services again, both Sunday and uh, Monday next week. Go and, uh, and have a beautiful week before Christmas. <laughs>